Hi everyone, this is Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. In this special episode of Industry Insights, I'm speaking with Dr. Jen Kumari and Dr. Hera Kovers, respectively the Executive Director of Integrated Solutions and Director of Immuno-Oncology at Crown Bioscience. A few days ago, the three of us ran a webinar about the cancer immunity cycle that covered various in vivo, in vitro, and ex vivo methods and technologies that could be used for preclinical immuno-oncology research. If you missed the webinar, the link will be in the description or on the page here, but today we're going to be taking a deeper dive into some of the concepts that Dr. Kumari and Dr. Hovers talked about in the webinar, including 2D versus 3D cell cultures, organoids, and high-content imaging. Alrighty then, Jen and Hera, thanks so much for joining us today. Are you ready to answer a few questions here? Definitely. Yes, we are. Awesome. Uh, so just to recap, uh, Jen, maybe you can leave this question, but what is the cancer immunity cycle? Okay, thanks. Um, so the, the cancer immunity cycle basically describes the necessary steps needed for our immune system to effectively eradicate cancer. Um, and uh, there's a lot of genetic alterations within cancer. So these generate uh, tumor-specific antigens that are very distinct from the normal tissue. And this is uh, sufficient to trigger a cascade of uh, biological uh, events, um, starting with the presentation of those novel um, unique antigens on the cancer cells to the T cells. Um, and then uh, this results in the activation of those T cells um, so that when they reach the tumour microenvironment, they can recognise the tumour cells uh, and effectively kill them. And this then releases more antigens and the whole cycle starts again. So this is a this is very highly regulated process and it prevents actually the recognition of, of self and autoimmunity. So there are numerous uh, checkpoints. So the, you've got the PD-L1, PD-L1, CTL4. You've got a range of different stimulators, so CD40, OX40, uh, CD137, and, and then uh, many different types of inhibitors such as cytokines. And these work to keep that balance. Um, but this also means that there's numerous points within that cycle that can be impaired or dysregulated. Um, and this results in um, those uh, tumours escaping that immune surveillance. And then you get progression of uh, the, the disease. Um, so this cycle captures uh, very nicely, um, I think, the, the potential therapeutic targets that can be modulated to get that cycle back on track, um, and uh, as well as help us determine why um, there may be um, some therapeutics that are not working. So I think in summary that that cancer immunity cycle really describes the biology um, very well, but also how it can be very ineffective in cancer, uh, so allowing that progression, and then also how um, immunotherapeutics can be effective or ineffective yeah definitely um and yesterday we were talking a whole bunch about you know the different methods and technologies and so obviously crown bioscience is really great at assessing a bunch of these uh bunch of these steps along the cancer immunity cycle but jen maybe you could uh share some of these you know ways that we were talking about yesterday uh, so how can you assess the steps of the cancer immunity cycle 
Uh, I mean, there's there's many different assays and model systems, and it's really hard to kind of describe everything. But I mean, generally, you can model that cancer immunity cycle, um, you know, or parts of it, in in vitro and in vivo. Um, and this, I think, is is going to be dependent on the biology of the target and the therapeutic being assessed. Um, so you have to kind of design your assays and and your investigations based on those uh, key points. Um, so I mean, I can start with in in, in vivo. And here, if you want to jump in for in vitro, I mean. When we are using in vivo systems, for example, then uh, ideally a fully functional immune system would allow the whole cancer immunity cycle to be assessed. And so the endpoint will be tumour killing to demonstrate efficacy. Um, and this can include uh, gem models where tumours arise as a result of engineered um, oncogenic drivers or using um, the syngenate systems or homograph systems. Um, and these um, models... Um, so the tumour develops over time with these uh, in these models and so they can then grow and avoid immune surveillance. So any successful therapeutic intervention will re result in that tumour reduction. Um, and then we can take samples at different stages from that study, um, looking at the tumour infiltration, the cytokine release, um, to see whether that response um, has worked or why it might not have, uh, uh, have worked. Um, I think the biggest limitation, I think we do have to address the limitations of these systems is that uh, we're looking at murine-based biology in these. So any hypotheses that we may um, generate from studying um, and using these models needs to be uh, then uh, translated into, into this sort of human system. Um, so we do need to still have further investigation into humanized systems. And again, in, in vivo, this is possible, um, but um, again, very complicated and, and limiting, uh, very time consuming. So we have to have alternatives. I think this is where the in vitro systems really come in their own. Um, and we can do um, in vitro human systems as well. So you can overcome some of those shortfalls, especially um, like the organoid system or the EVPT and and. Um, uh, and really kind of um, uh, break down the cancer immunity cycle so that you can look at the different stages as well. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Jen. So indeed, as you mentioned, the breakdown in in vitro uh, assays, um, so really the cancer immunity cycle can be, you can really analyze more specific uh, parts of the cycle with in vitro assays uh, instead of just looking at the overall complexity of the whole in vivo system. So thereby it has, of course, of course, advantages compared to in vitro systems. But then on the other hand, in vitro systems does allow you to work with the human system. You can incorporate the immune uh, compartment in a uh, maybe better setup than uh, within some of the mice models. Um, and in addition to that, uh, the in vitro models, um, you can do much more of a higher uh, throughput screening, right? So um, if, if you would like to test combinational effects or you want to test uh, different doses of your compounds to also uh, find the best way of your um, efficacy of your compounds, um, yeah, that's really something that can be addressed in the in vitro systems. And it can be done in 2D cell cultures, uh, but then those are just um, really high throughput and can give you some simple answers, uh, rather say, but then if you go to a more complex system or more uh, relevant uh, methods using those 3D cell cultures, uh, incorporating indeed organoids, Jen mentioned, or uh, patient um, tissue, that would really be uh, bringing you also to a higher uh, value in, in, um, in, in actually the translation to the clinics. Um, so in vitro assays can really bring, uh, yeah, bring a step closer to clinical trials, to, to successes for clinical trials. 
Yeah, and these systems really work in concert, don't they? They they really do help um, support. Uh, so you can go back and forth as well um, and, and dive deeper into the sort of different sort of questions. Um, I mean, certainly I think the, the combination is a very good example because you just can't um, simulate all the different combinations in vivo as as effectively as you can in, in vivo uh, in vitro. So therefore, the, I think the in vitro really does help um, reduce the number of animals we're using in the end, um, and then also help us uh, decide which ones to take forward and and which to investigate further. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, they you're right about them working in concert. Nobody's only you know studying. Uh, you know, in, nobody's only using in vitro models or only in vivo models. You really need both to get the full picture. I mean, you won't get high enough throughput or good enough scalability if you're only using in vivo models. Uh, and in vitro models uh, just maybe aren't quite physiologically relevant enough to capture everything that you might get in an in vivo model. That's a really good point. Yeah, I think some, actually some of the technologies, the advances in technologies, such as the 3D modeling, has taken it a step closer to being more relevant. So I think that's a really key key feature of as te technology and techniques improve and get better, we get better at modeling cancer. Yeah, great point. And, we, you know, we can talk about that now. So about uh, organoids and uh, high content imaging. Um, so maybe, Hera, uh, can you explain these a bit more and how these technologies are impacting the field? Yeah, sure, definitely. And Actually, it's maybe interesting to also uh, notice that during our webinar, we had one of those poll questions and uh, also to understand actually the audience. And um, we noticed that quite some uh, of the audience, almost 50% or a little bit less than 50%, were not yet familiar with organoids. So I think um, it was already good that we had that crowd on the call because I think organoids could be really uh, the future um, for 3D cell cultures. Um, so organoids are patient-derived, so I think that's really a difference to understand compared to cell lines. But in addition to that, because they are um, they are not a cell line, so they are not, for example, immortalized, um, but it's also based on a stem cell um, um, uh, stimulation of growth. So you by, by giving the right growth factors, you're stimulating the stem cell growth, and thereby you are actually capturing... Um, the heterogeneity of the tissue. So those stem cells can grow into those different uh, subset of cells um, and thereby you are not just looking at this, what you have with a cell line whereby you just have one homogeneous population which can give you valuable input on that specific response right, of those cells. But I think the um, heterogeneity in organoids is really uh, bringing value of getting a better understanding in how indeed patients will be uh, reacting to that. And in addition to that, the high content imaging platform that Crown actually offers, and, and I think also in the webinars we showed um, uh, many of the techniques out there are making use of, of imaging-based technology, uh, maybe a little bit of a different setup, but it's really um, showing that the imaging technology brings also more value um, because the imaging can really capture morphological differences. Um, so it's not just a killing analysis um, if we look at the tumor tissue. Uh, but also, uh, in addition to just looking at tumor tissue, uh, the addition of the immune cells, you can really analyze the relative positioning of immune cells towards uh, tumor tissue. And this is something um, yeah, that, that can only be captured via this type of imaging. And, and uh, thereby, I think that the high content imaging platform that we offer is really bringing value of making use of organoids on one hand, um, which are really patient-related material, um, and thereby have a high value to the clinics. 
but then also um, yeah, using imaging technology in a high-throughput platform uh, to analyze, indeed, as we just mentioned, uh, treatments, but also combination treatments um, in, in one big, big go. And maybe coming back to our previous point, um, it's indeed um, there, there will always be a, a combination of in vitro and in vivo assays. And what's maybe interesting to mention is that from the organoids, uh, we also have, for example, patient-derived xenograft organoids. So meaning that we have the in vivo models, so the patient tissue has been uh, used in in vivo models, um, but from those we also have the organoids. So that really brings, again, um, yeah, the, the, um, where we can actually work together, first put a screening in organoid models and then follow up with in vivo models on that. Fantastic. So, uh, Harry, in addition to the organoids, uh, that you also mentioned the use of ex vivo patient tissues. Uh, can you explain the difference in testing with patient-derived organoids in these? Yeah, I think that's a very good question, right? So, on one hand, we have organoids, which are patient-derived, and as just mentioned, they do consist out of a heterogeneous population of cells and thereby can bring a higher value uh, for preclinical testing. Uh, whereas the ex vivo patient tissue uh, platform um, is really fresh patient material uh, coming in from, uh, from the clinics, uh, which can either be um, resection material or biopsy material, uh, but also um, uh, liquids, for example, ascites or pleural infusions, for example. And those materials can be directly really used fresh. And I think that's really important that that material um, is not pre-cultured. There's no um, specific, uh, because from that material, you can also uh, actually make organoids on one end, which could be interesting, and thereby you can set up a more stable uh, type of organoid line, which does allow you to follow up, let's say, with a follow-up experiment. But the patient material um, really contains its na native tumor microenvironment, um, and that's really the difference, right? So the organoids, you really stimulate the growth of the stem cells, but thereby you do lose, for example, other cellular players um, in those cultures, for example, stromal cells or immune cells. Um, and in those patient tissues, you really maintain this native tumor microenvironment. Um, and I think thereby the complexity of the tissue is maybe much higher, uh, but it, it, it's almost you are doing in vitro clinical trials in a petri dish, um, in a high throughput platform. Um, so instead of, of using a clinical trial with um, getting as much as patients uh, that you want uh, in, in a patient, but then you can only test one uh, treatment effect, right? So within the EFPT type of platform, you can actually test multiple, again, treatments, combination treatments within one patient. Um, so we call it kind of in vitro clinical trial, which is really yeah, valuable, again, for uh, later um, you know, translation to the clinics. Yeah, certainly. Um, so in, in response to one of the poll questions, the audience uh, were using uh, 2D cell culture for their in vitro research, uh, and some were still unfamiliar with organoids. Uh, but do you think there has, there's been a shift to using more 3D cultures? Um, I think actually it's interesting, right? So if you look at the poll, um, I think again, it's about 50 to 50%. 50% is still working with 2D cell cultures, or at least indicated that they are working with 2D cell cultures. 
Um, and maybe I'm a little bit biased working in a 3D um, in vitro type of platform at Crown Bioscience. So my last couple of uh, scientific career have been always in 3D cell cultures. Um, but on the other hand, it's, it's interesting to see that um, on the other hand, 50% is already working with 3D cell cultures. So even 3D cell cultures are in its own might be have been on the market for a bit of a longer time. I think the organoids have been um, have been introduced about a decade ago, but really since then have been uh, shown in literature as well. There has been a much increase in the number of publications on organoids and, and really showing the clinical relevance of making use of those organoids. Um, and therefore, I really think that it, you know, it might be still hand in hand together with the in vivo models and with other 2D uh, maybe uh, in vitro based assays, but I think it's really, uh, yeah, the, the, where everyone wants to work with. On one hand, you can perform or analyze more uh, treatments again, combinational treatments um, in, in those type of 3D assays with organoids. So you are working in a relevant system. You can make it as complex as you want by incorporating different immune cells, different other cellular players. So to kind of really reconstitute the tumor microenvironment um, but then still allow you this, this kind of screening-based uh, platform. Um, so I really think that this will be where everyone in the end um, will need to, uh, yeah, will be moving forward in, in this 3D space. Um, how do you see that, Jen? Yeah, no, I think I think very good points there, Hera. I think there has, I mean, certainly I, I've seen ch shifts away from 2D um, cell culture. Uh, I mean, there's uh, a lot of criticism of uh, cells that are grown in 2D. Uh, even when you move them into in into xenograft systems, they form cancers which don't represent the original cancer type. And that is partly due to their adaption to 2D um, systems. Um, so I think the 3D um, takes those cells and puts them into more physiological relevant types of environment which means that they remember their origins and so they do represent the tumour in the end far more faithfully than the 2D cells um, and we've seen collections like the NCI60 panel being retired in favour of more clinically relevant systems and certainly that is where patient drive systems um, are uh, coming through and I think the challenges that we've had with patient tissue, the access to tissue, the, the use of tissue, um, these systems like organoids, like the EVPT, really make them um, that their use much more efficient, cost-effective, and transla translationally valuable. So I think there will be more adoption. And we've seen more and more people certainly asking us for these types of systems. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I'm sure we all know that there's just an enormous number of agents that were pursued that um, get dropped during clinical trials. And I think part of that is because they're not really caught early enough that uh, they won't quite work out. Of course, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, but if we can use more physiological relevant models sooner, then maybe we can catch some of these and don't spend quite as much money developing agents that will never really work out. But yeah, those, that's a really, really good I, point. I think actually, uh, uh, Liam, that's a very uh, important point, right? So um, although there's not so much of publication on that, but we do know that um, there are indeed um, uh, compounds that went to clinical trials um, that um, were shown really um, um, re good results of say on preclinical testing, which was done on two cell cultures in vitro, also on in vivo in my studies. But the, indeed, you kind of lack the human 3D um, physiologically uh, in those settings. 
And then it turns out when they go to clinical trial, they might really just fail. And later on, they also have, you know, in some of those uh, examples shown that when they were performing those studies in 3D cultures, um, that actually indeed genes that were expressed in t 3D cell cultures, which were not expressed in 2D cell cultures, were actually the trigger that why some of those molecules were not working. Um, so I think that's a very good point. And I, although literature is not showing them all, but um, yeah, there's definitely some failure in clinical trial because we lack a certain expression or a sensitivity um, by not making use of the right uh, preclinical model. Yeah, it's really interesting the kind of things that uh, 3D culture can capture that 2D hasn't been able to. It's kind of an exciting time to be in uh, immuno-oncology for sure. Um, so shifting gears a bit to maybe a more uh, general question, and uh, Jen, maybe you can lead this one, but why should drug developers work with Crown Bioscience? Yeah, I mean, we, we offer, as you've heard, a, a broad range of uh, capabilities for oncology and immune oncology. And this includes uh, biomarkers and bioinformatics, which we probably haven't touched a huge amount on. Um, we, we have a long uh, long-standing track record in working with drug developers across pharma and biotech. Uh, for these uh, preclinical studies um, and uh, investigating sort of numerous different types of therapeutics, not just immune checkpoint inhibitors, but cellular therapies, oncolytic viruses, vaccines, gene therapies, microbiome uh, modulators, um, as well as looking at resistant mechanisms and, and those combination strategies that we talked about. Um, and we also um, demonstrate that of this sort of experience and capability by sharing um, the data that we've generated and how we've characterized our, our models um, and you can access through this this through our website and our, our databases. Um, so there's a lot of sort of molecular features on our patient-derived models. We've got the clinical annotation and any relevant da data. And I think as as highlighted already, um, those patient-derived systems um, for in vitro, in vivo and ex vivo is really a unique uh, capability and the ability to then run those uh, clinical trial-like studies in those different platforms, uh, again, I think is making a big impact and uh, certainly uh, an area that we're very, uh, you know, committed to developing out further. So I think, yeah, so I think there's a lot of capabilities that we can we can provide a lot of expertise and, and guide uh, which platforms and systems are best for a therapeutic or a stage of the drug. Yeah, and maybe just to add on that, I think um, indeed different stages of the drug and a different type of drugs, but uh, again, bringing the synergy also of the in vitro versus the in vivo models that we can actually nicely follow up um, with those models. So we do have uh, experts um, in both fields and thereby, you know, we can really bring start from the beginning. And I think in the webinar, we gave one of those examples where we were involved, let's say in the beginning of uh, identifying hit compounds and all the way um, in the end that led to um, a compound that went into clinical trials um, in, in one of our projects um, with our collaborators. Um, I think that's really showing that we we are not just a part of the cancer immunity cycle that you can address. Um, and, and also, yeah, so it's really the, the full package, right? So from the beginning to the end, I think that's, uh, that's really the value. Fantastic. Yeah, great, uh, great arguments made. Um, all right. So I think just for the last question here, uh, so if somebody wanted to learn more, if somebody wanted to talk with somebody at Crown Bioscience, uh, where should they uh, go or what should they do? I think you can start with the website, so 
uh, cranbio.com um, there's a whole range of resources there so if you need more information uh, there's fact sheets there's uh, white papers we put our publications on there as well as presentations so you can really get a lot more detailed information just accessing those resources and then if you need to ask any questions you can just contact us via the web page as well um, and the I mean the databases as well um, you can follow the link on there register for them um, and then there's like different types of so organoids for example uh, there's the organoid base and then we've got um, ones for pdx models for our murine systems and then for our cell line models um, so highly recommend visiting that website and uh, reaching out to us as soon as you have a question Perfect. Um, well, Jen and Hera, thanks again so much for joining us today. It's been really great uh, talking with you. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. That's been great. We hope you enjoyed the special episode of Industry Insights. If you did, then stay tuned. We'll be making two more episodes with Crown Bioscience in the coming weeks, covering different methods, challenges, and opportunities in immuno-oncology. Thanks everyone for listening, and don't forget to subscribe.